Well, Real Talkers, we want to wish you a happy Thursday morning, and thanks for tuning in live. Uh, Ryan Jesperson here with you. What a day yesterday. What do we even say about this? If you're like uh, Sam and myself, and I know that many of you were in touch with the show through the afternoon uh, as, uh, what do you call them? (laughs) Are we going to say developments uh, in the United States, uh, specifically in the nation's capital in Washington, D.C. yesterday through the afternoon? And into the evening, just just seized our attention uh, and, and wouldn't let go uh, sites that that none of us I can say with confidence. It doesn't matter to me uh, your age or it doesn't matter to me uh, your level of political interest. I guarantee none of us uh, have seen anything like what we saw yesterday in 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 uh, Washington, D.C. as a as a, a mob. Uh, and, and we're going to be bringing you uh, some some statements uh, made yesterday by by lawmakers, uh, both Republicans and Democrats. But I, I think most of note yesterday uh, were statements made by by Republicans uh, that uh, even the most ardent supporters of uh, President Donald Trump uh, yesterday. I mean, I'm, I'm talking like Mitch McConnell, Lindsey Graham saying yesterday that that's it. We're out. This is enough. Nobody has seen anything like what we saw yesterday from that gang of goons and thugs. These are words used by Republican lawmakers yesterday. They said these aren't demonstrators. These aren't protesters. As essentially, uh, the U.S. Capitol building yesterday was breached for the first time, really, uh, since the War of 1812. For the first time in more than 200 years. The question is now, what does this mean for the United States You'll hear a lot of people talking about a a broken nation or a nation divided democracy on the brink of collapse yesterday. Uh, Mitch McConnell himself saying if if this if this gang would have been successful, I'm paraphrasing, if this gang would have been successful, uh, said the Senate House leader, this uh, our democracy may never have recovered. Nobody would have validated results of any American election moving forward. This is serious business. In about 15 minutes time, we'll talk to the former U.S. ambassador to Canada. The Honorable Bruce Heyman will join us. We're also going to talk uh, to Frank Graves uh, and we're going to talk to Ian Bremmer coming up in the nine o'clock hour as well. We're, we're going to get um, as, as robust of a of uh, uh, we're going to sort of walk across the board here and, and see what some of the experts believe this means for the U.S. What can we expect over the next couple of weeks? Uh, I know many of you at a at just a lay person's level are saying so. So what more is it going to take? For them to just march into the Oval Office, throw cuffs on this guy and march him out like you don't get your last two weeks. You're clearly unfit for office. There's talk of articles of impeachment. There's talk of the 25th Amendment. We're going to get into all of that today. Uh, Of course, everything starts with our acknowledgement each and every morning of our presenting sponsor. Bitcoin Well is the team that makes sure that we're coming to you each and every morning with the support that we need. And if you're looking to get into the crypto game, the Bitcoin game. I mean, here's a storyline just on a side note yesterday as as America teetered Bitcoin surged an interesting study into cryptocurrency and and what global markets look like and how people perceive stability to have an impact on. Anyway, I'm not the expert, but if you want to talk to the experts on Bitcoin, you know where to find them. Follow the sponsors tab at RyanJesperson.com and look right at the top for Bitcoin. Well, real talk starts now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. So we're obviously going to be keeping a 
close eye on our hashtag RealTalkRJ this morning. That's where you can uh, communicate with us. I see, I see that Megan, uh, if, you, if you search the results of, of the RealTalkRJ hashtag, and you, if you look for the top uh, tweets over the past while, Megan Andy, Megan Andy, good morning, Megan, to you is right at the top of the list. She says, hey, Jesperson, can we can we chat about how everybody who tweeted a certain photo got blocked by Alberta's agriculture minister on Real Talk? She wonders, can we talk about that? About a thousand of you have responded to her tweet by way of likes, suggesting that you want to talk to that. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Is there an Alberta angle? I think there is. Uh, is there an Alberta angle to what we witnessed in the United States that in just a bit? But why don't we why don't we begin our discussion? I know many of you will have seen this video. Uh, if you're like me, uh, you know, full disclosure, I was up until about three thirty in the morning just watching, just processing. You know, I, I think sometimes it's it's a bit of a, a strange exercise or a bit of a different exercise to start to stack up historical events to one another and, and say, how does this compare to this? Because there are nuanced details and and oftentimes a lot of these so-called big events have emotional implications. And well, a lot of times I think people feel like maybe things shouldn't be compared. But I do think it's safe to say that if you take a look at yesterday, if you take a look at January 6th, 2021, and where that will remain on, on Americans awareness on their calendar, so to speak, will it be right up there with with December 6th? Will it be right up there with September 11th. Is it up there with the Pearl Harbors and the 9-11s and the other big events that, that have solidified themselves uh, when it comes to to American history? More than more than 200 years, well over 200 years of, of American history. Uh, this footage uh, from ITV is absolutely remarkable. This is this is some of, I, I think, the most uh, moving and revealing and powerful footage from yesterday afternoon. And, and this is I mean, there were reporters, uh, there were journalists camera operators uh, that were among uh, these thugs that were among these goons yesterday right in the mix including Robert Moore who's the Washington correspondent uh, for British news agency ITV they were right there in the mix uh, getting a pretty uh, pretty frontline view of exactly what was going on I mean these are it's hard to wrap your mind around these images uh, you know you think of, of the institution that is the Capitol building and uh, this is something like like none of us have ever seen before, uh, to say the very least. You know, you see the tear gas deployed here. It's being speculated that that tear gas uh, deployed by citizens uh, by these goons is actually one of the reasons why they were relatively easily able to gain access. Let's listen to the reporter here. But in no way is this a surprise. It has been fueled by the president's rhetoric, and it's increasingly clear. This election has not healed the wounds. It has simply amplified them. This election hasn't healed a wound, he says. It simply amplified them. So, I mean, this, you know, storming the building, you're hearing this language. Um, absolutely remarkable and difficult to wrap your mind around. Uh, the symbolism here of what we're seeing, uh, powerful to say the least. Sam, let's let's go to that CNN video if you can. This was as as well. This was one I know that uh, as we heard from President-elect Joe Biden yesterday, Mitch McConnell. Uh, we're going to bring you a, a quote from Mitt Romney as well, touching on this. The visual of windows being smashed in this footage from CNN, uh, windows being smashed in the Capitol building. I mean, the the imagery of citizens. Uh, these trespassers, if you will, occupying seats in the American Senate, taking over offices. In the building, 
I mean, the security breach here itself, the security breach in itself. Can you can you tee up the, the with the uh, the cop, the selfies? You know what I'm talking about? This was a video that made its way around. People are saying, how was how, how were demonstrators? How were they so easily able to breach the Capitol building? I mean, Americans right now kind of wondering about this. Look at this imagery. Look at this right here. People people snapping selfies with police officers. Now, I've, I've heard some people given given that guy the benefit of the doubt saying, oh, he, I mean, that that cop could have been could have been an astute one. He could have been collecting evidence, as a matter of fact. You know, these individuals putting themselves on 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 camera. Maybe the cop was collecting evidence. I'm not so sure about that. Uh, what was the end result of all of this? I mean, ultimately, the end result was was that. The Senate got back to business, but but take a look at this is the vandalism in these offices that we're talking about. Wrap your mind around what we're seeing here. You know, uh, Alberta's premier often references, you know, socialist Venezuela or we've seen coups and attempted in, in Africa and Eastern Europe. And we see these nations and, and, and sort of think, boy, if you saw something like this, if you saw, uh, you know, lawmakers offices trashed like this, this is the type of thing where. A nation like the United States of America might actually intervene, might actually step in. Yesterday, it was uh, the United States where this all happened. Now, there was a lot to be said about this. And and, and I think that Mitt Romney, uh, a prominent Republican, obviously, in Washington, D.C., one, one who's who's had an on again, off again relationship with President Donald Trump himself. I think probably it's safe to say that Romney's been the mature one here. Uh, a Republican and an ardent one at that uh, stepped up to the microphone after yesterday's development, after the temperature had dropped a little bit. And, and here's a, a portion of what Mitt Romney had to say. Now we gather due to a selfish man's injured pride and the outrage of supporters who he has deliberately misinformed for the past two months and stirred to action this very morning. What happened here today was an insurrection incited by the president of the United States. Those who choose to continue to support is a dangerous gambit by objecting to the results of a legitimate democratic election will forever be seen as being complicit in an unprecedented attack against our democracy. Fairly or not, they'll be remembered for their role in the shameful episode in American history. That will be their legacy. Let's get to what Mitch McConnell had to say about this. Uh, this is, I mean, you know, we, we could essentially play 10 or 15 minutes worth of statements here alone uh, to give you a sense of how this resonated with with career lawmakers. Uh, here's another Republican voice and a strong one at that. Here's Senator Mitch McConnell. Well, we'll get the audio when we can, but uh, Mitch McConnell essentially getting into it and saying we will, we will not discharge be intimidated. our duty under the Constitution and for our nation. And we're going to do it tonight. This afternoon, Congress began the process of honoring the will of the American people and counting the Electoral College votes. We've fulfilled this solemn duty every four years for more than two centuries. Whether our nation's been at war, or at peace, under all manner of threats, even during an ongoing, ongoing armed rebellion and the Civil War, the clockwork of our democracy has carried on. The United States and the United States Congress have faced down much greater threats than the unhinged crowd we saw today. We've never been deterred before, and will be not deterred today. 
All right, that's Mitch McConnell. I want to I want to jump in there because there are some other angles I think that are important that we cover here. Um, one of them that demands to be discussed. I, I'm going to get to Alberta implications and implications with conservative politicians in Alberta in just a second because there are some lines being drawn here. I want to have some real talk with you this morning on what's fair, uh, on what's reasonable, and what demands uh, explanation. I think those are important. But there's also a racial element to yesterday, and you see thousands of people on social media coming at this from different angles, asking anecdotal questions like, what was up with law enforcement monitoring all of those Black Lives Matter developments earlier this year that had the you know, dozens and dozens of zip tie handcuffs on their belts? Or, or they looked like they were dressed for combat, you know, riot police in, in masks and shields right out of the gates. Whereas yesterday you had, in some circumstances, you know, Capitol Hill police officers th- that looked like they were uh, unprepared for for a tenth of what they faced, for a hundredth of what they faced. What was the difference between that? Or can you imagine? I mean, you think of that couple in St. Louis, you know, armed to the teeth, standing on the front lawn of their property, just just eyeing down, staring down a Black Lives Matter demonstrators, daring them to step onto their front lawn, you know, out of fear of what may happen there. And then we take a look at yesterday, you know, casually speaking, many pundits and commentators saying what yesterday proved, if nothing else, is that white people in the United States can do whatever they want. I mean, what can't a white person do in the United States without getting shot? And yesterday uh, was, I think, a prime example. It's tough to imagine thousands of Black Lives Matter protesters converging upon Capitol Hill and taking over that that sacred institution like we saw yesterday. Joy Reid is a powerful voice, a senior correspondent on MSNBC, and she said this very well yesterday talked about that these people were so unafraid of the cops who were sparsely distributed through our capital, which hasn't been breached since 1812 when it was burned. The reason they could easily and casually, with their cameras on, film themselves throwing things through the walls of our capital, our property, going inside the capital, sitting in uh, Speaker Pelosi's office, casually take pictures of themselves, have that played on Fox News, they know that they are not in jeopardy because the cops are taking selfies with them, walking them down the steps to make sure they're not hurt, taking care with their bodies, not like they treated Freddie Gray's body. White Americans aren't afraid of the cops. White Americans are never afraid of the cops, even when they're committing insurrection, even when they're engaged in attempting to occupy our capital to steal the votes of people who look like me, because in their minds, they own this country, they own that capital, they own the cops, the cops work for them, and people like me have no damn right to try to elect a president. Because we don't get to pick the president, they get to pick the president, they own the president, they own the White House, they own this country. And so when you think you own it, you own the place, you ain't afraid of the police because the police are you and the police reflect back to them. We're with you. You're good. We're not going to hurt you because you're not them. Guarantee you if that was a Black Lives Matter protest in D.C., there would already be people shackled, arrested or dead. 100 percent. Shackled, arrested, en masse or dead. 
shackled, arrested, or dead. Uh, that was Joy Reid on, on MSNBC. Now, we're even seeing some comments here, uh, some obtuse ones on our uh, live uh, YouTube thread this morning. Someone by the name of Roeder says, you know, you keep attacking white males and this is what happens. I mean, what an absolutely ridiculous thing to say. Uh, now, what's the Alberta angle on this? Is there an Alberta angle on this? Let's get to what people in our neck of the woods were saying yesterday. I hate to mention uh this media outlet i hate to call it a media outlet uh because if canada had its own version of deplorables this would be them but rebel media had their incel soldier on the ground uh, yesterday kian bexty was there um maybe uh so here you have it this was a, a a tweet uh wonder mentioned said while we're at it you know we we're talking about real talk coming up while we're at it maybe uh, jason kenny the premier of alberta could speak about his buddy the real kian bexty here, here they are chumming together as you can see in past this is a post from the rebel media correspondent yesterday. If this was any other country, say Belarus, the mainstream media would be on the side of the people, not the government. It's only in America that the media wants unfair and unfree elections. So that's the tone. That's the position that rebel media is taking on this unfair and unfree elections that posted by, well, Premier Kenny's chum, uh, Kian Bexty. Does the premier have to answer for these friendships, for these relationships? And what about the story that was making national news yesterday? As a professional communicator myself, I was, I was just shaking my head at what Alberta's agriculture minister was getting into yesterday. The Honorable Devin Dreeshen, the hashtag blocked by Devin was actually trending all based on this photo. This is a photo that's been making the rounds for the last four years or so. This is not a new photo. Uh, Alberta's now agriculture minister uh, took a year sabbatical, went down to the United States, traveled more than 25 states campaigning uh, for the Republican nominee for President Donald Trump. This iconic image of Alberta's agriculture minister in a maggot hat, Make America Great Again, was making the rounds yesterday. People saying, well, when you want to talk about people that have enabled Donald Trump, you've got to start at places like this. Well, the minister didn't respond very well. Uh, Kevin Nimick is a reporter with CTV out of Calgary. He tweeted, you know, we've got yet to we, we've had yet to hear from Alberta's ag minister, forestry minister, Devin Dreeshen. He volunteered for Trump's campaign. In other words, uh, CTV had reached out to speak with him. Well, Kevin followed up and said the minister just blocked me. Uh, presumably, he says for this tweet, uh, it's not usual for elected officials, especially ministers, to block journalists. That's understating it. Now, this sort of took on a life of its own. Uh, this individual here uh, is a citizen, said, I'm going to try an experiment. So he didn't post a photo. He didn't say anything. He didn't actually even offer editorial comment. He simply mentioned the minister's name and tagged him in the tweet. As you can see there, what happened? The minister blocked him. The minister was yesterday on a blocking frenzy. As a matter of fact, hundreds of people blocked to the point where it started trending. I mean, check this out. This is this is absolutely wild. Uh, check that out. Number one, trending uh, Washington. Number two in Canada, trending blocked by Devon. And number three, trending capital. In other words, civilians and journalists being blocked by an Alberta government minister was out trending capital in the United States to paint a picture, to paint a perspective of how much of a story that became. This is a self-inflicted wound, uh, if I've ever seen one. Uh, so, you know, this is kind of a crazy development here. It, 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 the development here is unprecedented when it comes to, in my memory, in my recent memory, certainly the behavior of elected officials and ministers, Alberta cabinet ministers to members of the public. Marv says, wouldn't it have just been easier for Minister Dreeshen to just delete his account? 
I mean, I suppose so, but this is the bed you made. I mean, what's your statement about it? Make a statement about it. Blocking everybody. I mean, these guys are just getting bad advice. They're getting bad advice from the beginning, and they're getting bad advice all the way through. Okay? Now, Scott says this morning, Ryan, there's definitely a Canadian angle here. The Proud Boys were down there involved yesterday. The guy who founded them, he's talking about Gavin McInnes, is from Canada. You're right. The Proud Boys were there on Capitol Hill yesterday. A lot of them were wearing shirts 6MWE. 6MWE. Now, what does that T-shirt mean? And why is this important to educate ourselves on these types of things? Well, that stands for six million wasn't enough. In other words, more Jews should have been targeted and murdered during the Holocaust. Six MWE t-shirts worn by the Proud Boys on Capitol Hill yesterday. Let's be very clear. Let's develop a very clear understanding of who we're talking about here, of who's chumming around with whom, of whom is be- of who is beholden to whom. Now, we want to find out what you have to say about this. I mean, Donna says, I mean, what does this say about the 8,000 Albertans who voted for Devin Dreeshin in his riding of Innisfail? What, what does that mean? Uh, Rose says, I'm so upset about American politics right now to watch people running from terrorists is crazy. This is what they are. They're domestic terrorists. And yesterday we witnessed domestic terrorism. We'll be talking to former U.S. ambassador to Canada, Bruce Heyman, in just a moment. Sam, is he good to go? Uh, why don't we get right to it? We're grateful uh, that former ambassador Heyman has, has made time for us, confirmed by the U.S. Senate back in 2014. Uh, he presented his credentials to the governor general of Canada. You may remember began his duties in Ottawa uh, in April of 2014, his tenure extending to 2017. Ambassador Heyman, thank you so much and a good morning to you. Uh, welcome to Real Talk. Thanks for making time for us today. I think you may still be on mute, Ambassador. So unmute. there we go. There we go. There we go. Hey, there we go. I, I, I think it's safe to say uh, yesterday's developments unprecedented. But from your perspective, how did it resonate with you yesterday? And where's your head at today? So um, do you think about the whole stream of emotions that you go through when something traumatic happens? Sadness, um, anger. Um, you know, you can't believe it's happening in some respects while you're watching it happen. It's like, is this real? And then you, then you take stock and you say, oh my gosh, the president of the United States of America just gathered a whole group of people and told them to storm the Capitol to interrupt the constitutionally set process to replace him. And so as an authoritarian demagogue who is lying to his supporters, he is instilling in them the confidence to break the law. To People talk about them as protesters, not protesters. This was an insurgency. This was a riot. These people need to be held accountable for the breaking of law. And so it was a very sad day. Um, I was confirmed in that building. I worked as an intern, as a young intern, working for my congressman and going to that building. And I always viewed it more as a um, as a symbol of our democracy and the functioning of our government. And the good news is that after clearing the building, getting it out, the, the government continued to function and did what it needed to do last night, what it should have done very clearly earlier in the day, smoothly. But, you know, even with some 
people objecting, that's still a process that exists. And even though I'm frustrated with that, I'm more frustrated with the president and his behavior. Yes. Very dangerous. So, Bruce, what is this? I mean, over the next two weeks, uh, President-elect Biden to be set to be inaugurated on January 20th. People are talking about the 25th Amendment. People are talking about articles of impeachment, uh, maybe not as a mechanism to remove Donald Trump from office right now, but at least to prevent him from running again, uh, seeking that Republican nomination. What do the next two weeks look like to you and what what do you think should happen? So I think important decisions are going to have to be made by the Republicans, that the Democrats can do whatever you think that they can do, but they can't accomplish any of those things that you mentioned without the Republicans. So the Republicans have to look in the mirror and say, what kind of party do we want to be in the post-Trumpian presidency? What do we want to be? Do we want to continue to follow him? Do we want to continue to endorse and support Trumpian behavior? Or do we want to separate ourselves from that? That's the first thing. And to do that, you, you know, if you separate yourself, then you can make those other decisions. That 25th Amendment, which would then remove his ability to be president and act as president for the remainder of his term and give it to the vice president. The impeachment, which would only happen with the agreement of Republicans to impeach and remove him and bar him from ever running for office again. To resign, it would take the Republicans, his own supporters, to come to him to force his resignation, which I don't think would happen. And, you know, we're watching resignations take place. Oh, a little bit uh, rich to see his former chief of staff and uh, someone who supported all of these activities for four years, two weeks to go, now says he can't deal with it anymore. You know, that's uh, that's very rich. I think, though, uh, look, I'll welcome anybody who repudiates this guy right now, even those that went down the the path of accepting him for a long time. But uh, we're, we're in a dangerous, critical moment in democracy. But I have a lot of confidence in Joe and the team around him, the future president. And he's a good man. And he's going to be the right guy for this. The, the, the job that he has and that his administration will have to, I don't know if I want to say rebuild America, but at least uh, put into motion these, these wheels toward reconciliation is a tall order. Uh, when you take a look yesterday, I mean, I, I'm wondering if you believe it. To, I, I don't think it's overly dramatic. Uh, folks yesterday that were saying American democracy was was sort of hanging uh, there by a thread. I mean, if you think, you know, the Electoral College votes, the physical paper copies could have been seized yesterday and destroyed. Uh, luckily, staffers were able to grab them before the before the real estate was compromised, so to speak. But but this came very close. I mean, this was an attempted coup. Let's call it what it was uh, in your assessment. Uh, our neighboring country, the United States, the, the country uh, t- that we feel such a connection to. Um, what does this healing look like? Is it possible? How broken, I guess I'm asking you, is the United States right now? Well, it's it's it, it's definitely damaged, um, but it's still functioning. And it is not so broken that we can't move ahead. Remember that President Trump came in and he the Republicans controlled the presidency, the House of Representatives and the Senate. As of now, in two weeks time, they will have lost 
as a result of their embracing of Donald Trump in one term, they've lost all three. And so now you have the Democrats and Joe Biden governing. And I am very confident that this group can do this. And I feel very, very good about the path ahead. But we have work to do. We have a pandemic. We had 4,000 people die yesterday. Seriously. I mean, we, we have a vaccine implementation that is woefully behind and we have a raging pandemic where people are running around without masks and think it's a joke. And our hospitals are overwhelmed. And the second largest city in America, Los Angeles, they're, they're on you know, determined care uh, by the ambulance drivers to determine whether or not they're going to take somebody to a hospital or not. This is we're in a serious, serious healthcare crisis. At the same time, we have this bifurcated economy, stock market hitting record highs again. Today, people record highs in lengths of food lines. And yet we have a, we're going to have a former president very soon who will continue to delegitimize his successor. Remember, he tried that and tried really hard to delegitimize Obama by claiming he wasn't even born in the United States. Ambassador, this let guy me, is a as a con. He's uh, a con man. Let me ask you this. I know that you're, you're doing interviews all morning and we're so grateful for your time. I've got to let you go. But in closing, let me ask you this. I mean, you have served uh, as an ambassador, American ambassador, U.S. ambassador to Canada. What did this do? I mean, what was what was what was the what was Chinese political leadership thinking yesterday? What was Vladimir Putin thinking yesterday? What, what was Iran's political leadership thinking yesterday? What sort of a message did this send to international leaders? It sent a message that it's going to be very hard for the U.S. now to promote our vision of democracy and values around the world if we can't control that in our own backyard, in our own home. And so I think there was a bit of a probably a smirk, at least by the leaders, some of the leaders you mentioned that, you know, he's going to have a hard time attacking us for what we're doing to reporters and freedom of the press and treatment of people in Hong Kong and other places. We're going to have a, the U.S. going to have a hard time casting blame at us when they treat their own people this way and their democracy is, is treated this way. So, you know, fake news, how we treat reporters. You saw those people stamping and stomping on the cameras and, you know, roughhousing the reporters and, doing that, you know, right there in front of the Capitol. It wasn't just the political leadership. It was also, you know, our press and all the core foundations to our democracy. And so it hurts us internationally. We're going to have to fix the stuff at home first. People are writing in saying that they were in tears yesterday watching this all unfold. Uh, it's a day that will live in infamy. Uh, when, when you talk about yeah. a, a more than a 200-year uh, history of the United States, a day that will live in infamy. Uh, Mr. Ambassador, very grateful for your insight this morning. Thank you for making time for us. Pleasure and be well. You as well. That's uh, the Honorable Bruce Heyman, a former U.S. Ambassador to Canada. Uh, coming up, Ian Bremmer will be joining us in about uh, 20 minutes. Uh, Frank Graves, in just a couple of minutes, wanted to let you know right now, uh, the team at Friesen Brothers is celebrating this month as, as they get set to open up their 15th Alberta location this 
this fabulous store, this grocery store just set to open on the south side of Edmonton, opening in the next couple of months. And we're going to keep you posted on exactly when that is. But Friesen Brothers has been in the grocery game in Alberta for more than 60 years. And they've been committed the entire time to supporting Alberta farmers and producers. As a matter of fact, they only carry fresh Alberta beef, pork, chicken, and turkey. They use Alberta milled flour in their bakeries, including with that amazing sourdough. And they support as many Alberta farmers as possible in their produce departments as well. Friesen Brothers is Alberta grown and Alberta owned. Dairy Queen, Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park, also locally owned. I've been championing these six stores ever since we launched this show. Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, Y Gardens, and Baseline Road. They love you real talkers so much that they've got a two-for-one deal going on right now. You walk into any of those six stores, you pick up one of those six packs, those boxes of six dilly bars, they're going to give you a second box for free so long as you mention real talk. That's the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park, and we're grateful for their support. We're also grateful for the support of Park Power, and we're keeping an eye on the hashtag that they power for us. That's the Real Talk RJ hashtag. When homes or businesses sign up with Park Power, a local business for new uh, natural gas, electricity, or internet, right now using the promo code 2021-REALTALK, you're going to receive 70 bucks off your first bill. No strings attached. That's 2021-REALTALK. That's the promo code you enter at parkpower.ca, whether it's a residential or a business play for you. 70 bucks off your first bill. Our thanks to the team at Park Power. Uh, conversation uh, online. Obviously, many of you have comments as you're watching us stream live on YouTube uh, this morning. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, there's 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 the, an element of disbelief that I think many people are feeling. And, and then there's the as, as this sort of slowly washes over us as we process what we saw, as we look at some of these powerful images. I mean, Sam, you just played some of those. Can you tee up those images again? You just had for us with with uh, former Ambassador Heyman. I mean, look at what we're seeing here. I mean, these 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 captures yesterday. I mean, look at this. I mean, look at this, like put into perspective what we're seeing here. I mean, it's one thing to, to, to see individuals outside the White House or outside Capitol Hill, outside uh, the Lincoln Memorial, wherever protesting, but to have breached the grounds, to have breached, as we said, the real estate. I mean, this is the type of imagery you expect. I mean, what a wake up call expect from you don't expect that in the United States. You, you expect images like this from the 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 unstable countries not the united states right unbelievable let's find out how our next guest is processing uh what he saw yesterday and what he's seeing this morning frank graves is the president and founder of ecos research associates grateful uh that frank's been able to make time for us welcome to real talk this your debut this morning we're happy to have you here Glad to be here. Morning, uh, Frank. I, I, I'm 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 still just there. There's a certain element. I was watching this into the wee morning hours. Just it doesn't matter how many times I see this video. Uh, it's I'm still just gobsmacked. How how are you processing it as it was unfolding yesterday afternoon? The images were astonishing, uh, horrifying, uh, and it, something you would think you could never expect to see. On the other hand. I mean, we've been studying for some time what some call the authoritarian reflex, the rise of uh, authoritarian, what we prefer to call ordered populism, which really was one of the key predictors of, of Donald Trump's victory, as it was of the Brexit victory. And it tends to, I think it is really one of the most important, if not the most important force reshaping uh, advanced Western democracies and not in a good way. 
So this, this expression of a group, a large group in society who feel a sense of despair and hopelessness, uh, which is linked to a sense of a loss of identity and status, become, become uh, you know, fertile ground for the authoritarian populist uh, uh, appeal of people like Donald Trump. And it's, um, it's actually something which has been developing for many years. And I expect even though we can take some comfort, most Canadians are very pleased to see a change of regime, but the, the problems to produce this aren't gonna go away because they've elected uh, Joe, uh, Joe Biden. They, I, I mean, I'm optimistically, I would hope they will, but I think they're much more deeply rooted and they are a cause for tremendous concern. Well, we, we just asked a former U.S. ambassador to Canada, Bruce Heyman, about what, what, how he estimates uh, the extent of damage done here to the United States, to its democracy, how tall of an order uh, or how big of a job President-elect Biden faces here. And then there's the American population. Uh, there are people across the United States that, that may have a, their neighbors wearing the red ball cap and, and they voted Biden. And these people have to find a way to get along and to not get at each other's throats. Uh, and I might say that in some cases that could be a literal issue. Um, I mean, how how damaged is the United States right now in in, in your estimation? Well, it's 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 it, it's extremely damaged. It's on the verge of collapsing as the kind of United States that we remember. And when you look at the kind of polarization that you see in the United States, which actually occurs in Canada as well, we have this sense of sneering and denial. And of course, we don't have the same level of problem, but this exists here as well. And if you look at the divisions, they are very different in, in their fundamental bases than what they were in the past. The Republican constituency, look at the, the group that was on the, on the Hill causing chaos yesterday. Remember the Republican constituency of yore, not that long ago, was a suburban, affluent, college-educated, group of Americans who believed in things like smaller government, free trade, it bears no resemblance to this angry, frightened working class group that are deeply resentful of elites that want to basically pull up the drawbridge, turn back the clock, don't trust science. This is really isn't the kind of things that we saw dividing Americans politically in the past. And it's a, it's a uniquely deep challenge that's going on and it will not that it's not going to go away until you understand what exactly produced this and uh, you know it's nice to offer up bromides about you know unifying the country and you know speaking to uh, ending some of the acrimony and division but unless you kind of consider why this has occurred and there's a, a myriad of very deep forces that have taken a long time to produce it it's not going to just appear overnight Frank, you're you're in the business of communication. You're in the business of evaluating communication, polling, predicting, uh, predicting, prognosticating. Um, I, I want to ask you before we focus our conversation here on Alberta politics and on Canada. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg uh, of Facebook has just announced. I mean, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around what I'm reading here. That uh, quoting Mark, Mr. Zuckerberg, the shocking events of the last 24 hours clearly demonstrate President Donald Trump intends to use his remaining time in office to undermine the peaceful and lawful transition of power to his elected successor, Joe Biden. Facebook has indefinitely suspended Donald Trump's 
account, Twitter, yesterday, deleting tweets from the president, suspending his account. I mean, how do we put that into perspective? How significant it is that the guy that's got the nuke codes, the guy that occupies the Oval Office is not even allowed on social media for the next two weeks, as far as we can tell. Well, there's a little bit of irony here, and let's be let's be blunt. We've always had uh, conspiracy theories and paranoid visions of what's really going on that have great members of the population. But it's only in the last several years that that sort of view has been reinforced by uh, images, uh, memes, information, more properly disinformation, which is stemming not from mainstream media, uh, but from social media and actually not from all of social media because we've been doing some investigation on this recently in Canada. I don't expect it's much different in the United States, but we've asked people basic questions which would reflect what would be the consensus scientific view on say the pandemic, like it wasn't created in a lab. It, it masks actually are effective in reducing the spread of, the, of COVID. Uh, the death toll is not wildly exaggerated and so on. We put these simple indicators together and we create a disinformation index and it very much mirrors the kinds of divisions you're seeing between those who are relatively compliant, believe in the consensus views, and those who are not just non-compliant, they're defiant. But it resembles a lot of the kind of groups that you saw out there and it's clear that they're actually being uh, not, I don't know if the term is manipulated, but steered by information that's being curated and directed coming from Facebook, but also from places like YouTube, 4chan, uh, more recently Parley and so forth. And we can see that those individuals who are typically low information individuals, not particularly interested in you know going to a government website or looking at the mainstream move, are actually consuming this up and coming up with this unity of views which are completely distorted, which also lead them to have, have positions which say, we're, we're simply not gonna take a vaccine. We don't believe that mass or social distance are necessary. This thing is a hoax, it's largely over. So it's an extremely unhealthy thing, but it's not just expressing itself in the pandemic. It's also expressing itself in terms of fundamental debate about where the country should go in the future, what kind of post-pandemic Canada we wanna see. Because there's a lot of evidence that Canadians uh, think that even though this has been the most painful moment perhaps in our history, it's also one which could usher in some important changes based on the understanding of the fault lines that have been laid bare by the pandemic. But the divisions about what that might look like, there's a few points of, of consensus which unify, which is interesting. I think we have to look at those. For example, there's a lot of belief across both sides of this divide that you know we need to re resurrect manufacturing in Canada, the global supply chains have been lately, uh, revealed to be incredibly fragile and that maybe we need to start rebuilding a manufacturing capacity in Canada. That's one of the few things which actually uh, doesn't seem to divide across this open order uh, dimension. But it is, it, it is and, and what's really important from a communications perspective, that the typical response from those on the sort of moderate side <clears throat> of the spectrum or in the middle, oh, let's just reason, let's just offer up the facts. Let's use a moral suasion. This is driven by moral certainty. It's impervious to facts. In fact, it finds the kind of typical elite prescriptions to be anathema, things which are not, are fundamentally false. You know, they're fake news. So, you know, to, to think this is going to be solved by just, you know, let's have a, 
you know, rational conversation. That's not that's not how it's going to work. Frank, it's it's already been a, a difficult week, to say the very least, uh, for Alberta's government, specifically Alberta Premier Jason Kenney. It's safe to say that Albertans are outraged uh, over what's being described as Travelgate or whatever you want to call it. Yesterday didn't make things any easier. I want to put a few images in front of you and get you to comment on on what you think this means if there are political implications for Alberta's government. As mentioned, we had yesterday a right-wing media commentator, uh, Kean Bexty, down there uh, on the side of these goons, on the side of the thugs, uh, saying any other country like Belarus mainstream media would be on the side of the people, not the government. It's only in America that the media wants unfair and unfree elections. Well, this is a buddy of Alberta's premier. This is Kean Bexty and, and Jason Kenney a short time ago. And then, of course, you have Alberta's agriculture and forestry minister, uh, Devin Dreeshen. This photo trending yesterday and he wasn't doing himself any favors blocking everybody that was posting it but for a year he campaigned for donald trump and and uh through the most recent american election last november was continuing on social media to support the trump administration uh, what does this do for the alberta government and what are the implications uh including these types of photos and the associations that voters are going to make obviously they're unhelpful and uh, the government of Alberta has been uh, buffeted by a number of problems which precede the more recent Travelgate uh, episodes. Uh, and most notably, I would say that in, for example, the summer, uh, a, a, a large majority of Albertans said, you know what, whatever our views of the government, they're doing a really good job of handling the pandemic. Uh, 75% approved of the direction that the government was applying to the pandemic. They gave the federal government okay marks, but they were really, really quite happy. Since that time, and at that time, remember, most Albertans, like most Canadians, actually thought, you know, the worst might be behind us. Maybe there won't be a second wave. Uh, that, and uh, that's all been dispelled. That's been shattered by a second wave, which is not only equivalent, but it's much worse. And what we've seen is that the confidence in the provincial government's handling in Alberta has plummeted from 75% to 23% in our most recent poll. And that was preceded the images of leaders and uh, staff jetting off to Hawaii, Arizona, and elsewhere. So we'll, we'll see where that uh, goes, but it's difficult to imagine that's not gonna have an enormously corrosive impact on the prospects for uh, a, a Mr. Kenny's government to be successful the next time out. It's really too early to be making those predictions, but you know these are not trivial matters. These are matters of life and death, and the they're not being the yardstick that what Albertans applying this right now are not letting the, the government's not coming out well at all. Uh, let me ask you this in closing, Frank. We're going to be talking to Ian Bremer in just a moment and taking our focus back stateside. But, but you know, we've got some people saying uh, Premier and the United Conservative government have a long time between now and the next election uh, to do what they can to get Albertans to forget these woes. Uh, we've had experts coming on the show saying even if the United Conservative government doesn't falter, you know, potentially there, you know, there could be a mutiny or perhaps, you know, some elected representatives could stand as independents or whatever the case may be. Uh, you did not stop short of making a prediction the other day you said you don't do this too often but when you do you're not often wrong you've predicted a rachel notley win in 2023 in closing what gave you the confidence to say that well because she she really i think in, in hindsight you know albertans look now back at that government and it was unusual obviously for albertans who have never elected any but conservative governments to elect an NDP government but i think there's a sense that it really doesn't look that bad now certainly measured against this underwhelming uh, evaluation of how well 
uh, the current government has dealt with this once in a lifetime historical challenge. So I suspect that unless there's some, uh, you know, profound shift in the performance of the government, both objectively and in the minds of Albertans, th th this is just a, a, an obvious alternative. That's what happens when, go when governments fumble what are, you know, the most important issues, not only of the day, but of, of historical significance, you know, it, it doesn't look typically augur well for their prospects of re-election. So, and obviously things can change, but I would say it's uh, right now looks, it, if there was no alternative in the, in, in the store window, I would say, you know, maybe they'll, maybe they'll hang on. But I think people will, it may well come to the view, we actually have an alternative, one that is familiar that we've experienced before. And it certainly wasn't, it performed better than this guy. Frank Graves is the president and founder of Ecos Research Associates. Give him a follow on Twitter at Voice of Frankie. Thank you so much for your availability today. It's great to have you here. My pleasure. Thank you. Uh, we're going to return now to the United States. We're grateful that Ian Bremmer is, has been able to make time for us, a, a well-known and, and well-followed political scientist, uh, an author, an instructor. He's the president of Eurasia Group, the president of G-Zero Media uh, as well. Ian, welcome to Real Talk, and thank you so much for joining us on this Thursday morning. Absolutely. Uh, happy to be with you. Wish it could have been on a better occasion. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, this is the type of thing where, where people are, uh, some folks are saying that I'll, I'll remember this. Like I remember one of our viewers said, this is this is Pearl Harbor. This is 9-11. I mean, does this stack up? Does this belong on that very short list? I mean, it's for, if you're Canadian, it's going to be like your brother has a meth addiction, right? I mean, yeah. it's, just, it's, it's, it's not quite like 9-11 uh, or Pearl Harbor in the sense that it is deeply structural. It's not like 9-11 or Pearl Harbor in the sense that there will not be consequences to those uh, that, I mean, so I've been talking to a lot of foreign leaders in the last day. And, and the question they all ask me, and they're disappointed, of course, and that's a good thing because, I mean, when the Chinese, you know, engage in horrible activities or the Russians, you're not disappointed. You're just angry because it's what they do. You're disappointed at the Americans because you actually think we can do better. So... That's the silver lining. But then they want to know what's going to happen. What are the consequences? Is, is Trump going to be impeached and convicted? Um, are they going to use uh, the 25th uh, Amendment? Uh, you know, how, how are they going to remove him? What are they going to do? And the answer, Ryan, is they're not going to do anything. Uh, I mean, you still had a majority of Republicans in the House voting against uh, the, uh, the electors at the, after all of this late last night. Um, you know, the only significant thing that's happened to President Trump is he's been deplatformed for, from Facebook uh, for for a couple of weeks. But in terms of political consequences, Trumpism remains a very significant force in my country. We are by far the most politically divided country, the most politically dif dysfunctional country among the advanced industrial democracies. And that doesn't suddenly change with the crisis that we saw play out yesterday. So so the job that that president elect Biden has here, it's it's a monumental task. But like you just alluded to, Ian, there's still this two week period. There's still the time between yesterday or this morning, let's say, and January 20th. So the, the president has been deplatformed on social media. But in, in no way, I think, will anyone be resting easy here? There has been talk about the 25th Amendment. There has been talk about articles of impeachment. People saying even if it couldn't be fast tracked, if, if it couldn't be efficient or quick 
enough to remove him from office, it could at least prevent him from seeking office again. What do you think is is the most sensible, reasonable, executable move here? Yeah, I mean, it's just not going to happen again. If anyone that watched the speeches from the House and the Senate uh, last night, the Republicans, most of them, not all. I mean, you know, Mitt Romney has been, you know, a significant exception. There have been a couple, but most of the Republicans were, of course, condemning the violence, but they weren't condemning their their president. Uh, This was not I mean, they've got two weeks left and. I mean, President Trump did say, yes, you know, I mean, I still won the election, but I'm, I will allow an orderly transition. He is claiming that the election was stolen from him and a majority of Republicans and a majority of Trump supporters accept that, which deeply I mean, that's that's the first time that's ever happened in the United States. It deeply delegitimizes the entire process. And what I fear is that you're going to normalize this in the United States, you know, in the same way that it wasn't new saw in Seattle, um, the autonomous zone set up or in Washington, D.C. with all the riots this summer. I mean, you can draw a line through connecting all of those dots with what happened yesterday. And this is not the end. This level of dysfunctionality. I mean, Trump may say that the election was rigged and he's lying, though a lot of people believe him. But when he says that the institutions are rigged, that's actually true. And a lot of Americans believe that the country no longer works for them. And until that's addressed, this incredible level of anti-establishment sentiment, far, far greater than what you see in your country or that what you see in Germany or Japan, is going to persist. In fact, it's even going to grow because it's getting worse on the back of coronavirus. I mean, the working class Americans do, do not suddenly win. Uh, after two years of this in the 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 racial element of this i think is unignorable when when we we look back to the spring and the summer of 2020 and the the black lives matter demonstrations that that were occurring around the world uh perhaps most significantly in the united states with regards to numbers but we look at how how those were policed uh we look at the relationship typically between black americans and law enforcement and then we look at, at yesterday what, it, what appeared to be carte blanche for, for generally speaking, white Americans to seize the Capitol building, to occupy offices, to vandalize the American institution. How are you processing what you saw in that context? Um, there is a deep racial element. Uh, President Trump has directly used uh, racial dog whistles through his entire administration to gin up his base of mostly white Americans who uh, not only feel economically that they don't have opportunities, but also feel like the country is moving away from them. A lot of immigrants coming to the U.S., but who's taking care of them? The United States going to become in short order a minority white demographic country um, while uh, no one's speaking up for them. Um, And I do think that on the other side of this, undereducated white men are one of the few groups that it is wholly acceptable to discriminate against and call them all sorts of slurs, the stupid, dumb redneck. I mean, I have friends that would never make a comment like that about a black person, a Hispanic person, a woman, but they're more than prepared Um, to say that about the deplorables, about the Trump supporters. And of course, that only makes them support Trump more. 
So, I mean, I think that it, this is a deep, deep problem. It's never been resolved. The, the last election that we had in the United States that went this badly, of course, was back in 1876. And in some ways, that was the start of the problem because the election was contested. You had to create a bipartisan commission to, uh, de- to create an outcome. And the outcome, the political outcome that was created, the extra legal outcome, was that in return uh, for uh, the presidency, um, the Republicans removed the troops from the South. And that meant the end of Reconstruction. That meant Jim Crow. That meant you could still have Confederate flags and heroes that represented structural racism in our country. We never addressed the period of slavery and structural racism in a way that, for example, I mean, in Germany, these people are still living across the country with the history of what they did to the Jews. We've never dealt with the history of what we've done to the blacks in this country. And unfortunately, that ugliness, which is imbued very deeply in the core of my country's history, um, is has been weaponized by the sitting president and many of his supporters. Ian, you, you touch on something very interesting and you, you talk about the sort of um, um, uh, dismissing Trump supporters as, as deplorables. Um, you know, I, I, I commented on that yesterday on my Twitter feed. You talk about the, the comments that are made toward the, the hillbillies and the rednecks and that type of thing. And, and, and I think it's safe to suggest uh, that Donald Trump, uh, even solely based on his ego or what he's demonstrating here about his inability to lose with grace, will not fade away. I, I, I think it's safe to suggest he's not the type to simply spend the rest of his days golfing at Mar-a-Lago, whether he launches his own cable news network or whether he appears, uh, you know, as, as a regular panelist on on some other cable platform, whatever the case may be, you've still got these the mega supporters. You've still got this Trump nation, uh, so to speak. What does a Donald Trump post presidency look like? What sort of an impact do you think he will continue to have on the United States and, and on the on the globe? He's going to be uh, he's going to have access to billions, some of which is his and some of which uh, will come from supporters, uh, including from the Gulf states, for example, with very deep pockets and very limited due diligence. So that's going to matter. He has dozens of millions of followers and they will follow him. So there's going to be a huge megaphone. Now, it's going to be very interesting to see um, if Twitter and Facebook, as he enters private life, decide to keep him off their site, because that will hurt. That will diminish him. But I want to make the point that even though Trump personally uh, has this incredible capacity to drive uh, a wedge into the American public, the American soul, he is a vessel. He's a vessel for a great deal of disenfranchisement, for a feeling um, that uh, no one is taking care of large numbers of Americans, a lack of equality of opportunity. And there will be other vessels, even if Trump's wings are clipped significantly. And what we will see is the profusion of Trumpists who are out there that want his mantle, that will say, I can deliver in a way that Trump did not. And uh, and I, I think that that's going to grow in the United States until we address this. Now, the good news is that Biden did win both seats in Georgia. 
That means the Dems will control the Senate and they'll be able to actually push forward an agenda. And at least in the early months, the most significant thing that means is a couple trillion dollars of additional stimulus, $2,000 checks for poor Americans, money for states that desperately need it, red states and blue states. And that's significant. That will help. But it's a Band-Aid. We have to address the much more structural inequality in the United States that is the underbelly, the ugly underbelly of a country that has done so well by unleashing the animal spirits of capitalism, which is awesome when capitalism needs labor. But when the average American's labor is no longer relevant to corporations, you can't drive your economy that way. And Canada knows this. And the Europeans know this and the Japanese know this, but the Americans haven't quite gotten this. And that is that's directly why this has become so much worse in the United States than it is in so many other countries. Ian Bremer is a political scientist and author, president at Eurasia Group and G Zero Media. Thank you for sharing your time with us this morning. We really appreciate your insight. Ian, thanks. Ryan, good to be with you, man. On uh, our live YouTube comment thread, I think that this is an astute comment uh, here uh, from E. Granado, who says, you know, it doesn't matter if uh, President Trump, I don't know if it doesn't matter, but but I'll take the the spirit of your comment, I think is bang on when you say it doesn't matter if if Trump is banned on on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, There are sites like Parler, networks like, you know, OANN and Newsmax that will gladly take him in and continue to give him a platform. You also have to wonder about the impact that that the message uh, has. If, for example, if Donald Trump is is banned by by Jack at Twitter or by Zuckerberg at Facebook or whatever, and then you start talking about how they want to silence you, how they are complicit in a stolen election. I mean, look no further than the fact that they're censoring me. Look no further than they're they're taking our voice or they're attempting to take our platform. We will not be silenced. In a way, you have to wonder if it almost works in in, in, in quite a negative sense uh, for the, the procession toward a return to healing or a return to, I mean, I would say normalcy, but what's normal anymore? Uh, you have to wonder if it might actually empower Trump supporters, if it might actually embolden Donald Trump himself. I'm curious to know your opinion on that. Let's give a shout out to some of the supporters that make sure that we are here with you each and every weekday morning live, bringing you real talk about the issues that matter most. That includes the team at Westworld Computers, more than 40 years in business. Loving hearing from some of you like Ryan Bolin, who chimed in from Central Alberta yesterday. He said, our family's upgrading our computers. He said, and we're going to do it at Westworld. They're going to drive on up to Edmonton. He said, because they're supporting real talk. I thought that was great. Matter of fact, Ryan, I passed that along to Daryl and the team at Westworld. I said, hey, advertising works. Real talkers are loving your support. Westworld's got you covered on the sales and service front. They've been doing it, as mentioned, for more than four decades. Proudly family owned. Uh, Clean Air Club is the group that we went to. We asked them to audit our space here, our studio. We said, especially considering the fact that we're launching a new show on location in the middle of a pandemic. We want to make sure we take every single step we can. You can see there's an air purification unit there right next to Sam. That's one of the things they did for us. We said, well, what can you do for real talkers? They said, well, one of the biggest steps you can take when it comes to clean air is your furnace filters. And and that's the game that they're in. And and that's what they're simplifying for you. We know your to-do list is a mile long. Last thing you need to do is be heading out to the big box stores, figuring out which furnace filter you need. You go to cleanairclub.ca, you sign up, they deliver them to your door and they keep you on track with the schedule so you make sure your family can always breathe easy and you 
can save money. Also, a big shout out to the team at Local Waste Services. For more than 25 years, they've been in the waste management game, going up against the big multinational corporations. And that's the thing about local family-owned businesses is they're accustomed to, they enjoy, they invite fighting for your business. So give Chris and Lauren Labossier a call today at 780-242-9746. Whether you're a small business or one of those big shops, They'd like to show you what a relationship with them might look like as compared to your current waste management provider, localwaste.ca. They love to talk trash. And speaking of that, our trash talk coming up at the end of this week is going to be absolutely wild. We've got an inbox full. Sam, I was telling you literally hundreds and hundreds, literally hundreds of emails. As a matter of fact, we're going to get into... Oh, I get them too. I've read them. You've seen them. That's right, because you're CC'd. If people go to talk at ryanjesperson.com, it goes to you and me. Uh, You're much more organized than I am, so we figured that you could be the safeguard. I, I, I don't know if I'm more organized. I'm differently organized than You're you differently are. organized than yeah. me. See, Sam is being Sam's being kind and Sam is being generous. He he is straight up just more organized. Hey, before we go any further, on a lighter note, uh, you'll notice that we still have some of our holiday decor here on the, on the Real Talk studio table. Um, there was a great point yesterday. Now, we now we did get rid of your uh, your Whoville Christmas tree. Unfortunately. Uh, yeah, but, but the team at Flowers by Merle, check this out. This Can we show this the plant behind you can we take your shot again i mean you've got some you're, you're like in the rainforest now buddy this is uh th- that's one of my favorite types of plants so, i said i'd produce from the mutard if i could yeah so, I, so this i want to be surrounded this by is the, the next best thing um but we were talking about you know when is it time to take down our whoville christmas tree when's it time to get rid of the holiday decor and we figured we could leave the garland up here because as my i'm going to butcher his last name i apologize but miles chikirda Miles Chikirda is a friend of the show. He watches Real Talk every day, and he said, why would you guys be taking down your holiday decor before Ukrainian Christmas? Yeah. And then someone else chimed in and said, "Uh, Ukrainian Christmas? They said, you mean Christmas? And so we thought, okay, okay. So a shout out to our Ukrainian friends that tune in. You, you know what I like about the garland is like I come in first in the morning and and the only light in the room is the glow of the garland off the table. It's, it's very beautiful. It's, it's very beautiful coming in. It's very yeah. serene know, and, and, and and late night as well. It is. Uh, yeah. So so there you have it. Um, okay. Our, do we have our next guest ready to rock and roll? Let's just roll right into this. This show. It, we're already an hour in and we haven't even got to a lot of the stuff that we want to talk about today. This is uh, these are the best kind of shows, but we want to make sure certainly that we leave time uh, for you. Alex McKean uh, is a journalist with the Toronto Star uh, stationed out of beautiful British Columbia. Uh, Alex's career has taken her across Canada and we're grateful uh, she's made time for us this morning. Welcome to Real Talk and thank you for this. Thanks, Ryan. Nice to be here. Alex, we, we, we invited you to the show and we want to talk to you about um, a story that you pushed out a few days ago about why young men are dying in Western Canada. But you just pushed out a piece. People can read it at the star dot com. Uh, you write that you recognized something in the crowds storming the U.S. Capitol. You say, I've seen it and them before. Let's talk mm-hmm. about this. I mean, you just as a journalist, also as a human being. How were you? What did your yesterday afternoon look like? How were you processing what you were seeing in the American capital? That it's a it's a good question, Ryan. I think a lot of people went through a range of emotions yesterday watching the the historic day that was had south of the border. Um, I felt very sad yesterday uh, watching what was happening. I I couldn't say that I was surprised. The context to the piece that I wrote is that uh, I spent some time in uh, the United States 
both around the election time and a, a couple of months before that, um, speaking to people from all sorts of political stripes. And, and I had to say that I was not surprised to see the the what ended up being a mob of people forming around the Capitol building and, and charging into it. Um, I saw while I was in the States, the conviction that quite a lot of people have. It, it's not like it's the majority of people or, or by any means a majority of Trump supporters who feel this way, but it's certainly a, a large number who have a very strong conviction that defending the president of the United States um, is the right thing to do, despite all evidence um, uh, to, to the contrary that, uh, that, that suggests that he uh, lost the election and that he will be leaving office on January 20th. These people really believe, a, a group of them, that it's the right thing to do to, to try and keep him in that office that he has, uh, that he has lost. And, um, and that, that's the, the conviction, I guess, that I recognized and, and wrote about yesterday. Yeah, I mean, we heard uh, Rudy Giuliani, the president's lawyer, the former mayor of New York City, just can't seem to help himself uh, misdialing and pocket calling people and texting the wrong folks and and winding up in movies with with Borat. Uh, but but even a voicemail uh, Giuliani left on, on, on the wrong senator's voicemail yesterday uh, pleading with Republican senators to give them more time. He said the president's lawyers just need more time to put more information in front of you. They're 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 making every effort uh, to delay proceedings and to stand in the way of 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 the carriage of justice here. You were down. I mean, you've you've been covering this for the star over the past number of months. Um, You've been talking about QAnon, alternative media sources, so-called conspiracy theories. Uh, Much of that flaring up yesterday. We saw evidence of 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 QAnon supporters and Proud Boys and everybody else among those crowds, among that mob yesterday on Capitol Hill. You call it uh, in the star and people can read it at the star dot com, the cult of QAnon. Can you take us in to this? I mean, it's a, it's a relatively new community, but it's a community that I think is establishing itself as one that that demands the sunshine treatment, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think you're right about that. Um, I will say that I think there's a couple of forces going on, and and you alluded to them. There's the um, the coalition that we saw yesterday of people coming from. Uh, different groups, different backgrounds. You had the QAnon crowd, and then you had the Proud Boys crowd, and then you had the people who are, are just really fervent Trump supporters who might not even know what QAnon is, even if they are consuming some media related to QAnon. Uh, they might be interested in, in other types of conspiracy theorists, like the, the Alex Joneses of the world. Um, yeah, the, the image that you're showing right now is of Jake Angeli, who is a, a big QAnon guy and in Arizona, um, the reason that it it can be referred to as a cult, or, or the experts that I've spoken to have have used words like or phrases like cult of QAnon, or even cult of personality surrounding Trump, which I think are two separate things, um, is that people who have been brought into this line of thinking are really convinced and they've been sort of indoctrinated in into these kinds of beliefs They're, they've been uh vulnerable to it for for one re- reason or another maybe they've been uh experienced a bit of disadvantage in their own life um and and therefore become susceptible to uh to alternative ways of thinking that might offer them something it might offer them hope or 
a uh, an ideology that is in line in line with what what they wish was true. Um, and at the center of that cult of personality around Donald Trump and and the cult of QAnon, it, it needs that hero figure. They need to have this faith um, in Donald Trump, and it really is faith because it's not evidence based. Um, in order to uh, to feel hopeful about this ideology that they've embraced, you, uh, so I think that's kind of what's going on there. You were. Uh you you took on the assignment to travel down to to Arizona. Arizona has has been a significant state uh, when it comes to American politics for many many years, many decades. In fact, as you point out in your reporting, uh, back in November, in the context of what we saw yesterday, and and the divide in America, and, and even the divide within the Republican Party. I mean, you know, you were down in in John McCain's state, so to speak, the state that was that was a proud Republican state for many years uh, that has been that has been a player in American politics that was significant uh, with regards to some of the proceedings even last night. Uh, What did you learn down in Arizona? What did you observe firsthand? Oh, I observed so much in Arizona. It was a fascinating place to be. for additional context, I was in I was in Portland right before I, I went to Arizona, and the divide in that city is is really urban rural. Um, you have this very strong liberal core within the city itself, and then on on the outskirts, um, it, you know, you drive half hour outside of Portland, and you're in Trump country. Uh, conversely, in Phoenix. And uh, I was only in Phoenix, so I can't claim to have traveled a- around the state and seen the the great diversity, of course, that exists there. But within the city of Phoenix, um, there was a really robust, I would say, expectation that people were going to disagree with one another. Um, and I found that really fascinating. That, that was something that I quite enjoyed learning about Arizona, was that you, you would have this giant crowd of people outside the Maricopa County uh, counting office where they, where they were tabulating the votes, um, this, this massive group of Trump supporters. And you would have liberals, Democrats, who would, who would go there just to talk to these people and to, to try and get their, their perspective on, on what was happening. And, and I found that quite interesting, the, the way that there was a lot, of, uh, a lot of disagreement, a lot of heated disagreement, um, but also... Um, Quite a lot of desire to engage with with people who had differing opinions, which I must say I didn't observe in other places in in the United States, and I and I don't observe here very much. So I, was, I found that quite interesting to learn about Arizona. Yeah, I was I was going to say the exact same thing to you. I, I'm not sure that I don't know if we even see that here in Alberta, the province that we're broadcasting from. It's kind of, I mean, I you know what I wonder about is is you know you look at at how history will judge. Uh, some of the Republican lawmakers yesterday that 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 failed to, as, as a matter of fact, not only failed to take a strong stand uh, as as the U.S. Capitol as Capitol Hill was under siege. And I don't think that that's overly dramatic. That is what happened. Windows were smashed out. Offices were occupied. Documents were vandalized. I mean, what else are you going to call it? That's what you would call it in any other country. 
there were Republican lawmakers that were looking at these demonstrators and, and raising their fist in solidarity. There, the, the, the president himself, uh, Rudy Giuliani, his lawyer. I mean, I mean, Rudy Giuliani called for trial by combat yesterday, which is a, a, a remarkably a dramatic development. If you, if you consider the context, if you were if you were to say to return to a point of of what we might describe as as normal a normalcy when it comes to politics, let's hear this for a second. Yeah, well, he certainly has staked his reputation. Giuliani will be one of those, I think, that history will not judge kindly here. And it may be a long list. But when it comes to the future of the Republican Party, there will be those that continue to support Donald Trump, that believe that Donald Trump should run again in the next election, that believe that the election was stolen, that believe that there was a miscarriage of justice here. And then there will be those that say the party needs to move on. The party needs to start to heal. The party needs to 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 identify, pursue, install new leadership and start to rebuild the trust of of reasonable, rational Americans that have voted Republican in past and would like to vote Republican in future. I mean, how do you see the future of the Republican Party based on who you talk to in Arizona, based on what you've seen in the United States? What do you think that road to recovery, so to speak, looks like? That's an excellent question I that I honestly do not feel qualified to answer at all. I feel like it could go in any direction here. You, Me too. You, you talk about it at the road to recovery, but I mean, what if it's not a recovery? What if it's something that uh, is going to reinvent this party? This is, this is a political force that is much bigger than the Republican Party, um, what is happening surrounding Trump. So it's not going anywhere. It doesn't just disappear when he leaves office. This political force and these belief systems that exist are, are going to continue to exist and probably proliferate online. So how are they going to find a home? Um, that remains to be seen. I, I really don't, don't know. I don't know if they um, transfer that, uh, that sort of hero personality to someone else or if they continue uh, rallying around, around Donald Trump maybe for a 2024 run, um, which, you know, it feels too early to even consider that at the moment. But I don't know that it is necessarily a path to recovery. I think we need to watch really closely what happens with the Republican Party. And certainly it's not the party of John McCain anymore. I think a lot of people I spoke to in Arizona uh, expressed sadness about that. Even Democrats who I spoke to who said, yeah, I voted for John McCain. Um and uh, you have those those moderate Democrats and Republicans there who who definitely did express sadness at uh, at how how far the party has been taken over by this force that just seems completely beyond what it used to be. Alex, I think I think the word sadness is bang on. I mean, that's why that, that was a recurring theme that I saw from from people yesterday. I was just, you know, as, as we sat here, just my, my jaw dropped yesterday and we're we're watching these these, these developments and these we're watching news footage that just seems like I mean, it just seems like it, it, a movie. You know, I mean, it's just unbelievable. Uh, on a side note, I saw someone say uh, I'm no longer impressed that Nicolas Cage was able to steal the Declaration of Independence um, because I mean, it's just obviously so easy for Capitol Hill to be seized. Uh, but, you know, you sit there and you just kind of go um, more than anything. It just felt like a gut punch. 
um, had a guest earlier yeah. today say, you know, it's it's like it, it, it's like your brother or, or your best friend is in the throes of addiction. I mean, it's just this this feeling you get. Where you just feel sad. You feel defeated. You, you don't know where to turn. Um, I appreciate your analysis on this. Um, I want to let our audience know the reason we asked you to be here in the first place is another story completely different uh, that you covered mm-hmm. in the star and that demands our attention. This is uh, one I think that that's relevant to everybody, but but most relevant to our younger audience members as you report uh out of the the british columbia bureau for the star uh if you're listening to us live audio streaming on mixler we're talking to journalist alex mckean Uh, you can read alex's reporting at the star.com more young men in western canada died than expected last year and not just because of covid19 new numbers as you report in statistics canada uh, released by statistics canada showed that from from may to october of this last year, uh, more than 7,100, almost 7,200 Canadians under the age of 45 died. Uh, it was almost 1,400 more than statisticians had predicted, and more than 80% were men. What's going on? Well, we don't know exactly what's going on, but this is a phenomenon that is well worth highlighting and noting, um, and and we need to find out what is going on. Um this issue of excess deaths surrounding the COVID-19 pandemic has been um, an important one to look at. Other countries have done a much quicker job of this than Canada has. So this release by Statistics Canada this week of these um, excess deaths, they're, they're preliminary numbers. So that just means that some of the agencies that are contributing numbers to this, they, they need to do more work to um, verify them or categorize them. But Anyways, this preliminary release of numbers um, was pretty notable because uh, folks have been have been looking for excess death number death numbers in Canada for quite some time throughout the pandemic, and it basically just means the number of people, the total number of deaths that occurred above and beyond what we would have expected in a quote unquote normal year. And of course, 2020 was not a normal year. Um, most of the analysis from across the globe on excess deaths has pointed to it as this phenomenon that, okay, maybe some of these excess deaths that are not uh, uh, attributed or that we don't know are attributed to directly to COVID-19, maybe some of them were actually COVID-19 cases that we don't know about. And the other explanation that is commonly given is that um, it's possible there are members of the public who have avoided seeking medical care because of the pandemic uh, for other serious issues and have died as a result of, of not seeking medical care. So those are, are the most common explanations for, for what is happening. What's striking about these numbers is who, who it is yeah. who is dying. And the fact that it's young people, so, um, uh, and, and the, the block group here is men under the age of 45 in Western Canada in particular. So in in British Columbia and Alberta, um, those are account for the the majority of the excess deaths, at least over the summer months. And we can say uh, it's an assumption, but it's a pretty reasonable assumption to say these are probably not people who are the most susceptible to COVID-19. We know that only about 50 people over that timeframe under the age of 45 uh, uh, died during that time of COVID-19. So, so what, did, what did they die of? And to when we ask that question, we have to ask, 
what do people in this demographic category die of more more frequently than than other people? And unfortunately, we were pointed to really sad things like yeah. overdose deaths, suicide, and, right? And and potentially suicide. We don't have numbers that back up that suicide is is one of the causes of this. But um, experts are speculating on that. It, it's it is. We do know that more uh, men, more young men die by suicide than uh, than other demographic categories. So it, it's a reasonable thing to be talking about right now. Alex, let me ask you something. This this is, uh, you know, we call the show Real Talk and I, and, and I try to, you know, in, invoke questions I think are important that, that are questions that do not typically get discussed on, on traditional talk shows. They don't get reported in, in the top of the hour news. You're an experienced journal, journalist yourself. So am I. You know, um, I don't know if you've ever covered breaking news, spot news, worked in a newsroom, ran an assignment desk, but you know as well as I do uh, that if, you know, uh, if, if in Vancouver, if the Portman Bridge is closed um, and if people start reporting that there's a police incident on the Portman Bridge or in Edmonton on the high level bridge, uh, everybody knows what that means, but the words are never said. Uh, it means mm-hmm. that there's a, a jumper. It means that there's somebody there that that police officers, that firefighters are trying to reason with, are trying to talk to are trying to support we talk about uh deaths that are deemed to be non-suspicious but we never report them journalists never push them out as deaths by suicide it's 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 a matter of fact it's part of the profession it's how it's approached it's it's kind of protocol um and there are some reasons behind it that have never really sat well with me personally um Mm. i don't know how you feel about this may be a bit of a curveball question for you but but as a journalist yourself and 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 i have my own opinions on this too how do you feel about the fact that that we do not have frank and open conversations we don't have upfront uh unapologetic and i don't mean that in an unsympathetic way but Mm. unapologetically accurate way of reporting deaths by suicide as a society we contribute in my mind to some of the stigma around it by going uh, from a journalistic standpoint so hush hush about it that I think we perpetuate a lot of the stigma around mental health issues. Do you have an opinion on this? It's a great question. Um, I I will say I think I think you're right that there is a a longstanding practice um, to avoid speaking directly about or writing directly about suicide in, in media. Um, the, the idea being that if it's out there, then, um, then potentially that, that could cause people to want to, um, uh, copy the actions that they're reading about. I do think that's changing though. I think we're starting to recognize that it is really important to report on, uh, how, prevalent this is as, uh, as, as an issue. Um, one of the things that has been um, highlighted to me by experts is that um, one of the reasons men seem to die by suicide in greater numbers than women is because there's a real feeling of isolation there among, among men. Um, there's a feeling of not being able to talk about it and and reach out and uh, admit to having these feelings of helplessness or, or loneliness or depression and um, all of these things that that could be contributing to uh, to death by suicide or even to to the other things that we're talking about substance use potentially right these kinds of things um, isolation is a factor and so if we're unable to talk about it as a society um, then it does 
make it harder or, or there's just less examples that um, uh, people who might be struggling have to reference um, when they're considering reaching out. It, it could contribute to isolation. I would agree on that. I've got an interesting comment here from Wally, who's watching in this morning, watching live on YouTube, says, you know, millions of young men who think they have no future uh, means we need a better education system. Uh, perhaps critical thinking might make them think otherwise. I, I know there's not one uh, quick and easy solution here, but I will say this, Alex, that reporting like yours uh, really puts issues in front of us and allows us, first of all, to be aware of what's going on. Uh, these are shocking and troubling statistics, but also uh, to make sure that we as a society are providing supports where we need to. Uh, Alex McKean is a reporter, a journalist for the Toronto Star uh, based out of beautiful British Columbia. We're grateful you were able to make time for us this morning. Thank you for uh, your insight and, and keep up the excellent work. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. You can follow Alex on Twitter uh, at Alex underscore McKean. And of course, you can read her work at the dot com. I want to say that if you are having thoughts around suicide, if you know someone that is thinking about suicide, help is available 24 hours a day. The Canada Suicide Prevention Service is available to take your call every waking hour, 24 hours a day, seven days a week at 833-456-4566. If you'd rather text than talk, you can simply text START to 741-741. That's text START to 741-741. We're going to leave some time to get to your emails. I want to leave some, some talk time to see what you're saying. I want to get back to a story that was making news trending across Canada yesterday involving one of Alberta's cabinet ministers, Alberta's Minister of Agriculture and Forestry, Devin Dreeshen, uh, out of Innisfail, Sylvan Lake, that went on a blocking spree on Twitter. Anyone that, that seemed to tag him in a tweet or share a photo was blocked by the minister. Well, it, it, it caused him to start trending. As a matter of fact, the, the self-inflicted wounds started drawing more attention to him. And I want to talk about that in just a moment. But right now, I want to remind you how grateful we are. You can see there the trend map yesterday, and we'll bring that up again in just a second. I uh, wanted to let you know that we're grateful for the support, the ongoing support of the teams at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. Uh, these are Scott Held's dealerships, and both of them, including the brand new one in St. Albert, just a stunning facility. Uh, very proud to be your go-to dealerships for Jeep in the province of Alberta. The 2021 Jeep lineup looks unbelievable. I can't wait to see these Grand Wagoneers in person. Have you been Have you been Googling the 2020? Go Google. You want to see what a full-size luxury SUV done right looks like when Jeep does it? The 2021 Grand Wagoneer is a beautiful machine. Of course, they've also got the Grand Cherokee. That's what I'm driving right now. Just love it. The very popular Wrangler. The whole Jeep lineup, you won't find better selection than you will at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. We're also very grateful for the team at Alta Moving and Storage. If 2021 means a change of location for you, whether you're upsizing or downsizing your place, Alta Moving and Storage has custom designed solutions to make that process less stressful for you. You know, experts, mental health experts say that moving is one of the most stressful things that any of us will do in our lifetime. Alta Moving and Storage has these pod style containers. You give them a call, you check them out online at altastorage.ca. They'll come up with a solution that fits you perfectly. They drop off these containers, the pod style, and then you can either load them yourself or they'll bring the movers 
Of course, they bring him to the new location. They try to take away all of the sweat and tears that can go along with this. And if you're looking for shorter long-term storage, they've got you there as well. Dramatic developments yesterday in the United States and not just limited to there. I mean, nobody was storming buildings in Canada, but many of you have been uh, drawing our attention to to video uh, and I'll say unverified video in the sense that I don't know that the date stamp is accurate. Sure appears to be, but I'd recognize the landscape anywhere. It's downtown Red Deer just uh, on Gates Avenue, just south of the old courthouse. Uh, Trump demonstrators out waving their flags, waving their placards yesterday. And then, of course, there was a local politician, Devin Dreeshan, just just west of Red Deer, as a matter of fact, is 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 his riding. And and he was front and center in the awareness of Albertans yesterday, of course, as developments uh, happened in Washington, D.C., many were invoking this photo of Alberta's now ag minister, Devin Dreeshan, in his MAGA Hat raising a glass uh, following a successful campaign back in 2016 for Donald Trump. And there's you know, you can read the stories online. Uh, Premier Kenny, as a matter of fact, talked about it uh, after the fact uh, about uh, Minister Dreeshan's involvement in in uh, helping uh, Donald Trump achieve the Oval Office. Uh, yesterday, people were saying, well, what do you have to say about this? Uh, and the people were bringing this up and saying, hey, let's let's not let's not lead ourselves to believe that this is something limited simply to the United States. We have uh, people like this. Uh, people that, you know, yesterday, I think, demonstrated themselves uh, to use the words of, of Senator Mitch McConnell, goons and thugs. Uh, there are people like this in Alberta, in Canada. Let's not believe that something like this could not happen on Parliament Hill. So it drew attention to prominent Trump supporters. Uh, now, if you're a supporter of Minister Dreeshan of the United Conservatives and you'd say right now, whoa, Ryan, whoa, you're not trying to draw a direct line from Alberta's agriculture minister to what happened yesterday, are you? Uh, I'm not trying to direct uh, directly draw a line there, but I will say, as I tweeted yesterday, that I do think that there is a reckoning that will occur. I do think that while Donald Trump certainly deserves the lion's share of the credit for what we saw yesterday for inciting this type of thing. What a powerful statement, by the way, from President-elect Joe Biden yesterday. Did you catch that where he talked about the powerful words, the potential of the powerful words of a president? He said when essentially I'm paraphrasing, he said when done right or when it's sent in a positive way, he said they have the power. The words of a president have the power to inspire. He said, and when done wrong, they have the power to incite. Now, that's what we saw yesterday. It's what we saw. And as I watched and I was trying to make sense of what we were seeing, I, I, I simply said, hey, listen, I mean, I said, this is a guy. I mean, Donald Trump yesterday was saying he tweeted, please support our Capitol Police and our law enforcement. Right. He said these are they are truly on the side of our country. Stay peaceful. Right. Right. After you've summoned thousands of people to storm the Capitol, you now say, please support law enforcement. I went on to say, hey, listen, this guy spent the last four years whipping these maniacs into the frenzy that we see unfolding today in D.C. Heaven forbid something happens. And it's worth noting that four people did lose their lives yesterday, including a woman who was shot and killed. I said, heaven forbid something happens. Blood is on Trump's hands and the hands of everybody who's enabled and amplified his reckless stupidity, including here in Canada. And I mean it and I stand by it. Now, I'm not squaring this focus on Minister Devin Dreeshan, but I will say this. Yesterday's behavior was very curious because some of you, my fellow Canadians, some of you, my fellow Albertans were pushing out that photo 
of Devin Dreeshan raising his glass, wearing that red ball cap that will symbolize, I think, in decades to come, a period in American history, that image of a red ball cap. I saw a guy joking lightheartedly yesterday saying that his favorite red ball cap, which has nothing to do with making America great again, he said that Donald Trump has ruined red ball caps for the rest of history. And I think he's right. But the minister was touchy yesterday. He was feeling touchy and sensitive. Now, whether it was him or his staff, I don't know. Some of you have even suggested to me that, that, that the fact that that people Sam, can we call up that email or, or the, the tweet again of the guy that ran the experiment? You know, this this civilian that ran this experiment. I mean, this is what was happening yesterday. OK, so this guy says and I don't know who this is. I don't know this individual personally, but he said, I'm going to try an experiment. And so all he did, you can see it here, was tweet the word, the name, the name of the minister, Devin Dreeshan, and then he tagged him in the tweet. That's all he did. Well, he was blocked. He was blocked by a provincial, by an elected representative, by a provincial minister for that. And then he said, well, here, I mean, here are the findings of my experiment, he said, right? He said, I mean, uh, given his past and the events of today, uh, Minister Dreeshan is blocking pretty much every account that mentions him. So he says, I guess... Don't take it personally. Now, of, of course, the 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 impact of this, the effect of what the minister was doing. And, oh, and by the way, here, you know what I should have done, Sam, is I, I should have I should have given you a more accurate. I I, I, I screen grabbed this petition and um, I, I asked you to grab it. But but I'd, I'd be curious to know um, what the numbers are like right now. Um, yeah, I, I screen capped that last night. Yeah. So, so it had like 100 signatures. Yeah. But let's see. It's at it's at change.org. I'll look now live. Unblock your constituents. Devin Dreeshan. Uh, it's got, okay, so it's a, it's a it's a modest uh, petition right now, 100, 168. Uh, as soon as we said it, it bumped up by a few. I don't know if people are looking at, but there's a petition, as modest as it may be, a petition. People want uh, Devin Dreeshan to unblock his constituents. Here's the thing: um, it, this should be obvious to say, uh, blocking people does not stop the story. As a matter of fact, blocking people accelerates a story most especially when you're a government minister uh, so much so that we showed you that trending deck earlier you could see that blocked by devon the hashtag was out trending capital in canada yesterday the three political trend the top three trending political words phrases or hashtags yesterday were washington blocked by devon and capital I mean, it, it's just to me, uh, it, it's it's uh, it's a bit of a naive move uh, on the minister's part or the minister's staff. But it also sends, I think, a, a very clear message. I, I, I see like, you know, uh, many of you are tweeting at me right now, just sending me screen grabs. This is happening live right now. Uh, screen grabs uh, where you're showing that you were blocked yesterday as well. Uh, that to me, I mean, is it a fair question um, for you to ask your elected representatives? Uh, does your support? of President Donald Trump remain. You know, you were down there, uh, you know, Minister Dreeshan in particular for a year uh, based on his own uh, storytelling. Uh, he was down there visiting 28 different states, almost 30 different states, knocking on doors, fundraising. As he tells the story, meeting with Donald Jr. and Eric Trump, he said he he met with Donald Trump, the president, several times at that time, the Republican nominee. Is it a fair question? Do you continue to support this individual? Well, obviously, it's a fair question. And in my opinion, political leadership would look like, I don't know, facing the people and answering. But facing the people is not what we're seeing from our provincial government, is it? 
I mean, yesterday, Jason Kenney finally emerged. Uh, you know, m- many of you are writing in to say, are you going to point out that Jason Kenney's off at Jason Kenney's working out of the Sky Palace right now? Um, you may not know that Premier Kenney has, has moved his office to Allison Redford's Sky Palace, which which as, as a metaphor is, is perhaps amusing to many of you. Now, there's a reason for this. The Alberta legislature building is undergoing renovations, and that would include the premier's office or at least the areas around the premier's office. And he had to relocate. But he has been working. It's true. Several of you wrote into this morning, a couple of DMs I received on Twitter saying, hey, Ryan, is it true? Is he working out of the Sky Palace? He is. Um, But that's why there are those renovations. Well, he emerged yesterday. And the timing to me is suspect. Now, I know that some of you will say, well, here you are, you, you with your conspiracy theories and reading too much into everything. I don't think so on this front. I think it was pretty interesting that that yesterday, January 6th, was the first time that we saw or heard from Premier Jason Kenney in person. You'll remember on January 1st, uh, behind that podium, Premier said, I will not sanction uh, members of my caucus uh, or members of my cabinet, in particular, former minister, now former minister Tracy Allard, because I did not provide them clear direction that they should not travel. Well, all hell broke loose over the weekend, as you know, and on Monday we hit the ground running. Uh, We hit the ground running with guns blazing, in fact, on Monday. Uh, The general public was and remains outraged. And then, of course, uh, Premier Kenny announced that he was accepting the resignation of his chief of staff, Jamie Huckabee, who traveled to the UK of Minister Allard from cabinet, not from caucus. She's still an MLA. And then a few of his other MLAs surrendered some of their responsibilities. But but as we heard from from some of the experts on the show this week, all that means is less work for the same amount of money. Nobody's leaving any money on the table. Well, Jason Kenney emerged last night from the Sky Palace and he took to Facebook Live. So he didn't take reporters questions. He took questions that were selected by his staff and he appeared as all eyes were on the United States. Right. He appeared on video as everybody was watching uh, from the U.S., Uh, but he went to talk about some of the things he said. I'm not hiding. He said, I'm very busy. And when we find time to talk, well, then we make ourselves available. So we did hear from him yesterday. Well, I'm curious to know how that's resonating with you. And I'm curious to know how you're processing the implications of what we saw yesterday in the United States right here in Canada. I promised that we would leave some time that we'd leave some time. To get into some of the emails you've been sending us, because as as Sam and I were discussing earlier, we've not seen. And yes, the show is young. We're we're, we're less than two months old here, but we've not seen an outpouring of commentary uh, in our short history like we have over the past number of days. So I wanted to leave some time to read some of your emails. You know, you can email us anytime by visiting talk at Ryan Before we get into these emails, I want to tell you how excited we are to be partnering with Kubi Energy. Now we're going to be rolling out a new feature. I've been telling you about this. It's 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 top secret in the sense of the branding right now, but not in the theory or the spirit behind it because quite frankly, I don't even know the branding. You don't even know the brand. You yeah. have the you have the music, but you don't have the title. I'm really yeah. I'm excited about the title. The title is it's it's hey, it's sponsored and presented by a, a company that does, that's in the solar game. They're in the solar game. So we're trying to have a little fun with the title of it. But this is the good news stories. This is the positivity that we want to share with you. And so if you have a great news story, if you have a story of something that's happening in your community, maybe something that happened to you over the holidays, maybe 2020 wasn't all that bad for you, or maybe you have a reason for optimism in 2021. Maybe you snapped a photo of a sunrise or a sunset or 
Or maybe you caught your husband singing into the hairbrush in the mirror and you've got the video and you think real talkers would love to see it. Whatever brought a smile to your face, we want you to send it to us at talk at ryanjesperson.com. Just put Kubi Energy in the subject line. That's K-U-B-Y. And we'll consider that for Monday's segment rollout. We're really excited about that. Kubi is locally owned and operated. Their main office in Edmonton, their BC office is in Kamloops, and they serve all of Western Canada pretty soon. They're opening offices in southern Alberta and the West Kootenays. They are growing as solar grows. All of their employees that are that are installing these solar systems are all certified electricians. That means that Kubi Energy is employing Alberta and B.C. certified tradespeople. You don't want somebody installing solar panels and batteries in your home that's not a certified electrician. So make sure you visit Kubi Energy at kubyenergy.ca. That's kubyenergy.ca. All right, let's get to some of your emails. These are emails that you sent us at talk at ryanjesperson.com. Travis writes into the show and he says, you know, uh, he, he tagged us on a tweet to his MLA. He says, I've never written in on something political before, but Premier Kenny has continued to show lifelong Albertans like myself that he doesn't respect us. His latest performance on January 1st was especially infuriating. He got up on that podium and made some of the most tone deaf statements I've ever heard from an Alberta premier. Suddenly, after months of lecturing us regarding personal responsibility, telling us to, quote, knock it off, Premier made excuses for his MLAs and staff who had not heeded that very same advice. The hypocrisy is astounding, and it communicates that his staff and MLAs believe they are above the rest of us, and public health advisories do not apply to them. The Premier has failed to go far enough in disciplining guilty parties. While I am aware that MLA Allard has lost a significant portion of her pay i believe she should be expelled from the party he says i'll be telling everybody about this so that they're aware of premier kenny's continued deceit to my fellow albertans writes travis i hope my words and the words of other albertans writing into your party are a wake-up call a premier is as toxic to your party as he is to alberta he says, I would imagine if you wish to retain power come 2023, that Jason Kenney be removed as premier and as leader of the United Conservative Party. I appreciate this email from Wendy in Okotoks. Good morning, Okotoks. Uh, she says, Ryan, you're giving a voice on Real Talk to the rage that people like me are rightly feeling. She says, you know, COVID is like a magnifying mirror on our society. Wendy says it reflects and magnifies the inherent intelligence and morality or lack thereof of a society back to itself. She says our premier has kept Albertans in a state of confusion with his inconsistent and conflicting leadership through the pandemic. Wendy says, I'm actually glad that vacationing MLAs brought this to acute public awareness. I'm relieved and reassured that Albertans seem to be unanimously outraged and demanding better. Wendy says, unlike Trump followers in the United States, we don't turn a blind eye to hypocrisy and deceit. That from Wendy. Let me ask, don't we? It was interesting yesterday to hear from the mayor and deputy mayor of the town of Slave Lake, uh, Tyler Warman and Sean Gramlick, after unanimously Slave Lake's council demanded the resignation of their MLA, Pat Rain, who was the MLA down in Mexico 
over the break. It's He's the MLA that, as I told you, uh, over the New Year's weekend has been living and working down in the state of Texas, traveling to Texas and staying down there for extended periods of time to run his business. We heard that confirmed yesterday from the mayor and deputy mayor. But an overwhelming uh, response that we received from you, the real talkers, was even those two, the mayor and deputy mayor, appear to be, at least the mayor said, continuing to support the United Conservatives, just not their MLA. So what's the deal? So as Wendy says, we don't turn a blind eye to hypocrisy and deceit. Perhaps I'll believe it when I see it. Judith writes in from Calgary, Alberta. Judith and the city of Calgary, good morning to you. She writes to Mayor Nenshi, and she CCs us on this correspondence. I want to let you know that His Worship Mayor Nenshi will be joining us on the show tomorrow as part of a mayor's roundtable. We're going to be talking about ambulatory care. We're going to be talking about ambulances and dispatch in the province of Alberta with four Alberta mayors. But of course, we will be asking Mayor Nenshi about this. Uh, Judith says, Mayor Nenshi, you must take action. She says, you must resign and take your chief of staff with you. If you're wondering about the background here, a couple of members of Mayor Nenshi's staff, including his chief of staff, traveled to the tropics to Hawaii over the holiday break. Now, Calgary found itself in the headlines because of a pretty high profile arrest at an outdoor rink. You remember that 21 year old man that was arrested by police after he failed to cooperate. And many people are drawing a direct line to those two stories, saying, let me get this straight. And I'll acknowledge I'm oversimplifying here a little bit. But to cut to the chase, a man was arrested for skating with his friends. Not technically what he was arrested for, but but allow me to develop the thought. A man was arrested for skating with his friends, but the mayor's chief of staff was holidaying in Hawaii. How does that make sense? How is that acceptable? Back to Judith's email. She says, you must resign, mayor. You must take your chief of staff with you. I'm sorely disappointed that after working so hard for so long to encourage Calgarians to be compliant with pandemic restrictions, you would use a Jason Kenny excuse to avoid taking action. What part of stay home, save lives do you and your staff not understand? Judith says there's a pandemic. Would it be so much or too much to ask politicians to take this seriously? Lives are being lost. Businesses are being closed. The untold damage here that is being done is remarkable. People are dying. So who will pay for this? Asks Judith. I'll tell you who. The frontline health workers when hospitals become overwhelmed, the police and peace officers who must confront people flaunting these bylaws, the local businesses who remain shuttered as these coronavirus numbers increase and the shutdowns drag on, the vulnerable who cannot risk going out or having visitors, those who have followed the rules now have lost hope that this shutdown will end as soon as they're able to resume social visits and activities. So who wins? Asks Judy. The pandemic is a hoax crowd, the anti-vaxxer crowd. So how does it feel, she wonders, Mayor Nenshi, to stand shoulder to shoulder, hand in hand with Alberta's premier and his sycophants, all who have disagreed with the bylaws, your bylaws, who have disagreed with the lockdowns and who believe they are above the law. Judith says, I'm a Calgarian who supported you who defended your actions and who truly believed that you had our health and our economy at heart. What a fool I've been that from Judith C down in Calgary, Alberta resignations or firings say something to people. They, they convey a message. And I saw someone 
suggest a couple of days ago, it was a, a journalist that said when you get into this game, most especially commentary, in other words, as a pundit, like a talk show host, not a journalist or a reporter or an anchor, you know the stakes of the game. Talk to anybody that's worked in radio or TV. You always wonder if this show will be your last show. In other words, you get hired to get fired. And you might say the same thing about politicians and political staffers. Chiefs of staff in particular have fallen on their sword for many years to satiate a public that's demanding accountability. In this case, following the resignation, if you will, obviously, I think a forced resignation of the premier's chief of staff. I think it is virtually impossible for Calgary's mayor to continue to defend his. And that's a story that we're continuing to follow. Sam Brooks is the technical producer of this show who does a ton of work behind the scenes. But I also know, just like me, Sam, you yesterday were eyes glued on round the clock news coverage of what was happening on Capitol oh, Hill. Oh boy, it was a day. I remember like yesterday I had like a couple errands to do right after the show and I literally turned like the audio of CBC TV on in my car so that I wouldn't miss because I mean, like... It was it was one of those days where it was just, you know, we were watching things unfold so fast that it was like we couldn't catch our breath for a minute because things were going on so fast. The the biggest thing that, that tripped me up yesterday is how nobody even noticed when the Georgia runoff was called because it was in the middle of all of the chaos. Totally. The you know what I mean? Like that was that was that was a significant moment. The Senate flipped and and it just it was sort of a footnote to what happened yesterday. It, it's. I mean, I'm a news junkie to begin with, so I was pretty glued to it yesterday and, and tried to watch some basketball to take my mind off of it, and then the Raptors really, really stank, so turned the news back on. Um, it was... I, 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 like, ask me in like a week how I feel about this, because I can't process it this fast. You know what I mean? I don't think I don't think you're alone there, Sam. I mean, yeah. I, I, I know that there are a lot of people that, that were... I mean, I just, I just felt like yesterday was a movie. I mean, yeah. can, can, you, can you pull up some of those photos again? I mean, a, a lot of times, obviously, video is very powerful, but sometimes the power of a of a, of a static image. Um, I, I it, have it's just, I mean, my first love is photojournalism. So some of these yesterday, just... I mean, these are these are these are uh, photos, I think, that will uh, come to stand in history as some of the most iconic uh, that we've ever seen. But the, these are uh, they'll yes, be in textbooks I mean, one day. I mean, look at this. I mean, that, that these are the halls of power. Uh, this is not a field trip. Uh, these are these are individuals. Uh, to quote Mitch McConnell, these are goons and thugs that stormed the Capitol. Uh, this looks like the type of thing when when a government falls in South America, or in Southeast Asia, or in East Africa, or in Eastern Europe. This is what we're accustomed to seeing in other jurisdictions. Like President-elect Biden said yesterday, and it's not like the words are that profound, but the spirit of them. I mean, look at this. Look at that. In the House of Representatives, guns drawn, the door barricaded by a solid wood desk. As an attempted coup was underway, President-elect Joe Biden, look at that. President-elect Joe Biden saying yesterday, this is the United States of America. I mean, just the, the implication there that people have higher expectations, that people don't think this type of thing can happen in the United States. Amazing. I wanted to read this email from Lucas. Lucas isn't happy. And many of you may not be happy after hearing Lucas's email, but but at, at risk of coming across as, as a talk host that only reads flattering feedback, 
I want to make sure you know that regardless of your perspective, we read what you have to say. We invite your feedback. We want to hear from you on the Real Talk RJ hashtag. We want to hear or read your emails at talk at ryanjesperson.com. Lucas says, Ryan, I was a longtime listener of your previous radio show. In the last year, I found myself yelling at the radio to the point where I had to turn it off, but I decided to give your new show a chance. I'm going to interject with a bunch of commentary here. This is this is always funny. This is always how it goes. People will, uh, when there's a talk host that people can't stand, they'll say, I I accidentally, I thought I was on a different radio, but I, I accidentally heard your show yesterday. No, they or, checked or, it out or, intentionally. Or so, somebody, somebody had your show on in the background and I was trying, I had my headphones in, but I couldn't help, but I heard it, even though I I, I, I hate you and I think you're an idiot, I, I heard it. And so I wanted to comment on that. So Lucas says, I wanted to give your new show a chance, which I appreciate. He says, I was really hoping that you would be the media host that you used to be, the one that was engaging, not just the one that replayed every clickbait media headline. He says, you used to be a host that had people on from all walks of life and political affiliations would actually listen to what they had to say to make it an engaging conversation. No engaging conversation here on Real Talk. He says, now, yes, yes, you do have conservatives on your show. He's right about that. He says, but but I feel like a lot of the time you write conservatives off before the conversation begins or you portray us as a bunch of mouth breathing idiots. But as hard as it may be for you to believe we are people, too. Uh, Now, to be clear, I've never said that and I don't feel that way. And it's completely inaccurate. Now, before I get it and before I really get into this email, I want you to keep in mind that Lucas is writing this as the Capitol building is under siege. Lucas is writing this email as Twitter is announcing that Donald Trump's account is suspended, perhaps indefinitely. He's writing this as a woman laid dead after being shot. He's writing this as Confederate flags are waving in Senate chambers. He's writing this as senators offices have been overtaken and are being occupied. That's when he's writing this to me. He says, when I saw your tweet today about Donald Trump, when I said Donald Trump will have blood on his hands, he said, I I was disappointed because I felt like it was wildly insensitive to those who support the Republican Party, because that's probably where our concern should have been yesterday is to be sensitive for people who support the Republican Party. This guy, this guy back to the email. He says, I'm not a monster because my political views align more with the Republican Party than they do the Democratic Party. He says, I think saying that that the blood is on my hands because I support the Republican Party is wildly inaccurate and insensitive. Let me get back to what my tweet said yesterday. I didn't say anything about Republicans. I didn't say one thing about Republicans. What I did say is that as Donald Trump was suggesting that law enforcement needs to be respected in the United States, I said, this is the guy that spent the last four years whipping these maniacs into the frenzy that we see unfolding today in dc and that's accurate donald trump summoned supporters to capitol hill he enabled and incentivized this type of behavior so i said and this is before there were the reports of the four deaths this was before there was the report of the woman that was shot i said heaven forbid something happens today because i don't know about you sam but i was convinced that something was going to happen I was convinced, as we saw, I, I felt such yeah, I, was I felt such anxiety. I don't know about you, but as we saw, there was that one video, and we don't have the specific video, but everybody saw it. I think that Capitol Hill, the police officer that had, that, that had his, his hand on his baton, 
He didn't have his taser out and he didn't have his firearm drawn, but he had his hands on his baton and he was he, he, he had these these brazen trespassers, these domestic terrorists uh, that were staring him down and walking toward him with almost a zombie esque blank kind of look in their eyes, undeterred by his arms, undeterred by his authority, undeterred by his badge. And as I watched it, I wondered, what will we see live today? I mean, heaven forbid. And you know, all it would take is, is one trigger happy or nervous law enforcement officer to discharge one round that could set this off. Oh, yeah. Sometimes it's one gunshot. Sometimes it's, it, it's one incident that can set things into a, in, into a zone that is irreparable and unstoppable. And thank God that didn't happen yesterday. And we wonder what it will look like. I mean, I, I saw that, that, that New York's Governor Cuomo uh, sent a thousand of, uh, members of the New York National Guard to Washington, D.C. as a start. Uh, keep in mind, Biden's inauguration doesn't happen until January 20th. Let me get to the email. So he says, you know, you're saying that blood is on my hands because I support the Republican Party, which is not what I said. He said it's inaccurate and insensitive. He says, I would agree that Donald Trump is not perfect because no one is, says Lucas. But tell me you didn't have him written off long before he took office. I will tell you that. I will remind you that this is what we call calling it. This is what we call being right. This is what we call making accurate predictions. You are right, Lucas. I did have huge concerns about Donald Trump before he took office, and I have been proven to be correct. So that's the one thing you're bang on in, in your email. He says, I thought one thing that Canadians still had was respect for other people's views and beliefs. Today, it feels like you showed me how little respect you have for me as a fellow Canadian. And we do have, I want to let you know, a packet of tissue that we're sending to Lucas so he can recover from my scathing commentary yesterday as domestic terrorists took over Capitol Hill. I apologize I wasn't sensitive enough to all viewpoints as the Capitol building was stormed and American democracy was interrupted. He says, perhaps we can change the rhetoric and try to talk about the good things a politician did. Or maybe even if you don't like him, even Ryan, if it's Donald Trump or the United Conservative Party as a media commentator, perhaps you could research good things that individuals or parties did. And, and you might even gain some listeners back, says Lucas to the fastest growing talk show in the nation right now. Can you imagine if we would have gone live yesterday afternoon? And I would have said, real talkers, thank you for tuning in on this very special edition of the show. Wanted to let you know that we've compiled a list of the good things that Donald Trump has done. And today we will bring you uninterrupted live coverage of the Trump legacy and all of his accomplishments. Lucas says, are we really any worse off because of a corrupt politician? In my opinion, he says, if you want to talk corrupt politicians, you, you know, you're just picking one. But because he says, but what you need to remember is nobody gets to the top without stepping on a few people. This is a real email. He says, you say Donald Trump is bad, but do you honestly think that who's the name he's about to drop? Who's the name he's about to drop? Do you think she would have been any better? He wonders. Do you think that? 
Hillary Clinton would have been any better. There it is, Lucas. You got all the bingo markers in your email. What about Hillary? He says, Hillary Clinton has a trunk full of skeletons all the same as Donald Trump. That from Lucas. And Lucas, we thank you for your email. You can be in touch with Real Talk anytime by catching us at talk at ryanjesperson.com. I was going to say, one of my favorite quotes from, from back in the 2016 election, I can't even remember who said this it was colbert or john stewart or someone like that 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 said you know the worst thing is going to happen if hillary hillary clinton becomes president is we might have a bad president the worst thing that happens if trump becomes president is well i think we saw it yesterday wouldn't you say yeah i mean i i'd love to go back to lucas's email but it's crumpled up and laying on the floor uh don't worry everyone we will recycle it but he said he said have we ever really been any worse off because of a corrupt politician can you can you roll for me? Can we can we show the senator's offices? Can you can you show me the, the aftermath of the senator's offices from yesterday? Lucas asks, have we ever really been worse off due to a corrupt politician? Well, I don't know, Lucas. You tell me. But I'm sure he's done some good things, too. We'll be back at it tomorrow here on Real Talk. Looking forward to, as mentioned, the Mayor's Roundtable. Plus, it'll be the one-year anniversary of the downing of that flight, 752, that claimed the lives of so many Canadians. We're going to hear from some of those whose losses were firsthand and very personal. They're still looking for answers. It'll be a show you won't want to miss. Have a great Thursday. Thursday.